Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Caitlin McIntosh. Caitlin is the founder and volunteer coordinator of Cat Team 7, an initiative to relocate kittens and feral cats of the Naval Station Norfolk in Virginia. She is also a Humane Society of the United States District Leader, board member with Billy the Kitten Rescue, Marine Corps wife, and mother to a one-year-old daughter, Ava and owned by her beloved Spurkins. Caitlin has been an animal welfare advocacy for approximately six years and enjoys it immensely, seeing no end to this line of work in sight. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You shared a bit in your bio, but how did you get started with community cats and animal welfare? It's kind of funny because, for me, animal welfare began by adopting a dog, which is not what you would expect knowing that I'm on a project for feral cats. I'm a dog person historically, and when I met and married my husband, it was actually his passion for cats coupled with his refusal to accept any fosters except for kids <laughs> to get me to really recognize the beauty of felines and and how much they they can be like dogs and I eventually just fell in love. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you're warmly welcomed. Dog lovers are warmly welcomed in the community cat world, but it, I find it tends to be oftentimes it's usually. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to stereotype in any way, shape, or form, but it seems like a lot of times it's like women introducing men to cats, and maybe that's just because of sort of that's the way it happened with my husband. But great is that it's, that you have a cat loving husband. Hooray on that one too. <laughs> yeah, my my big tough Marine Corps gunnery sergeant loves cats, <laughs> and when wow. I tell people that he's the one that made me a crazy cat lady, they laugh and roll their eyes and they're like, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, no. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so when you first started, did you start volunteering with a specific organization? So I began volunteering with Lost Dog and Cat Rescue Foundation out of Arlington, Virginia. That was when I lived in that area. And I spent a few years volunteering with them, climbing up through the ranks with several different volunteer jobs. And there were times when I had um, litters of foster kittens. I'm actually very allergic to cats, and I kind of started immersion therapies where I would literally let them climb all over me to help me get over my allergies so that I could continue to take care of them. I didn't foster kittens very often at that time. It wasn't until, you know, my husband came into the picture that I really started to get involved with cats more than I ever did before. Wow. And then you moved to near the naval station. Is that how the process happened? So because my husband is a Marine and he is stationed in Norfolk, I had to move down here from the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. And I had to find my, refine my niche um, in the animal rescue community here. And Cats in this community have a significant backing. It's amazing 
how many people here are passionate about them because to me at times I've seen them feel like the underdog or undercat, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And they certainly are when it comes to how they're taken care of on military property anyway. So it kind of became a natural fit for me. You're saying that there's a supportive community there, but it's not necessarily marine support. It's more of just the individual people that are there that are supportive of the cats. Norfolk Naval Station is actually a Navy shipyard. There is a small contingent of uh, Marine Corps personnel here, but for the most part, it's a U.S. Navy community. And there is a large civilian population that is working very, very hard for feral cats here. But there's less of an organized effort when it comes to care for the cats on military installations. There is no lack for love and passion, as I'm finding out, because people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, you know, I've been dying for someone to do something about this. Or people will confess to me that they secretly feed the cats on the base or they are trying to get them out of there or they rescue the kittens. So there's definitely support, but you see more organization in the civilian realm here rather than on the military installation. Can you uh, share with us a little bit of the program that you set up down there? Um, So CAT Team 7 is a lot of different things. CAT Team 7 developed out of a need to care for kittens and feral cats on the base in a way that navigated around a very inhibitive Department of Defense policy. The Department of Defense policy is that any cats living on the base that are identified as feral, wild, unowned, stray, whatever you want to call it, outdoor community cats, um, they are, you are not allowed to feed them, and you are not allowed to trap, neuter, and return them at all. Both can come with a hefty penalty, and I believe feeding them can come with jail time. Oh. What is Cat Team 7 doing to try and work around those regulations? Cat Team 7 is essentially a marriage of civilian groups with Naval Station Norfolk leadership. We are working with the Navy environmental team to request that they track cats whenever we have outdoor homes available for them. And so say, for example, I have a barn that comes to me or a vineyard or a brewery and they say, I would love to have two cats on my property as pest control. And I say, great, wonderful. This is what we do to set you up. And I call the Navy environmental team and I say, I need two cats. Can you track them on this day so we can get them stayed and neutered on the next day? And then we can get them to their location the following weekend. And we repeated this process a number of times. We also are allowed as civilians, if we have base access, to hand catch any kittens that can be caught that way. We can't necessarily use traps or nets or anything of that sort, so we have to be really great rock crawlers, and we have to be really fast on our feet. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. it's, it's definitely a process. Yeah, so many challenges to be able to get in there to try and help the cats. Do you have an estimate of what the total population of cats is in there? When we began... It was definitely identified that there were over 100, and it was climbing 
because we had already witnessed approximately 15 to 20 kittens having been born this kitten season in May. Twice as many at this point have been born, but half of them have also died. So you think you have less than 100 at this point in time? At this point in time, I, I truly hope we have less than 100. We have trapped 12 adults, and we have rescued and put in foster 17 kittens. So far, we've only had one kitten death, which, you know, were they to go unsaved is an amazing survival rate. Oh, yeah, definitely. And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. It was a very interesting story from my standpoint um, when we started our Trap Neuter Return Program in Newburyport, Massachusetts back in 1992. One of our main feeding stations was actually at a Coast Guard facility. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a fully maintained um, feral cat colony there for many, many years. Uh, it wasn't until the late 90s that, and we started in 92, so it wasn't until late 90s or early 2000s that we were asked to move our feeding station off the Coast Guard property to a neighboring property. We fully moved that colony over to a neighboring house, actually. But it was really one of our founding locations where we had originally in this area, a multiple area, it wasn't just this Coast Guard station. There were, there were about 14 other feeding stations in the general downtown Newburyport area that um, encompassed about 300 cats. But that one feeding station had around 20 to 30 cats feeding out of it when mm-hmm. we first started out. And then there was a local restaurant. Basically, we used to hop, skip it over a different dumpster, and they had another 30 cats in it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, without being allowed to have TNR as an option, you're taking on, it's an amazing feat that you are taking on to just be able to keep keep up and keep the numbers at the same level, let alone start having the numbers go down. And yeah, not being able to I mean, the kittens is a tool. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to hand catch feral kittens. Every single one of those 17 that came to me were either hand-caught by myself or someone else. I'm sure it's a sight to see, and there have been a number of people that have jogged by me and done a double take or giggled or, you know, what have you, or watched me from afar, and I am sure that it's quite comical to see. You know, unfortunately, there was even a time here in Norfolk when TNR on the base was allowed, and I believe that the evolution of the DOD policy came about because there were some advocates for birds, Mm -hmm. endangered birds out in California and some other states where they said, well, you know, the endangerment of these bird populations, they're inherently tied to feral cat populations and we, we don't want the cats ever coming back. And, you know, that 
I believe that the solution to their minds was simply, okay, we can trap them and take them away and kill them, or we can starve them out. And while that seems painfully cruel, you know, from their standpoint, they're saving their beloved animal. So I, I understand going to the ends of the earth to do anything for the animal that you care about, but there is a better way, and, and we know that. And the understanding that a feral cat colony doesn't exist without having somebody abandoning those cats in the first place. So Absolutely. we have to think about what programs do we put in place, what sort of safety nets do we put in place to prevent the abandonment from happening in the first place, and then also having a program to handle the current population that's out there for pause on the on the ground. Um, and, you know, when I've had conversations with folks about the bird situation, Newburyport is home to the piping clovers. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of refuge space, huge birding community. Many of our volunteers are also clover wardens and very involved with the local Audubon and, and that kind of thing. And we get along great. And I think the reason we get along great is just because we were there first doing TNR before they built their large facility and really established their program. And I feel very lucky that, that we were able to be there early because by the time they were there, they had seen the reduction. We had gone from 300 cats to now we have no cats on that waterfront area. And by the time they moved in, we might have had a dozen cats in that waterfront area. So they knew that we were population control for cats, and I don't think that they ever had any problems with us with regards to any of our issues because they've understood that TNR does work and has worked in their community. Absolutely. There is definitely a struggle not just between folks who feel that their animal is, they're most passionate about this, so this is their priority. There's also that human-based instant gratification that kind of takes hold, and it's like, okay, you're telling me that you can't solve this problem right now. You're telling me that I have to wait 10 years. That's not that, that's not good enough. I think it's very hard for people to envision the solution, especially if they don't have an investment in their heart in cats. Right. I mean, the one one thing that I have shared when I've been advocating for TNR is I have said if my organization is allowed to come into a certain area that hasn't had any really strategic, systematic focus to TNR, we go into that area and really blast it with sterilization across the board, trapping across the board. I said, I can guarantee at least a 50% reduction by the time we're completed with all that trapping in the population, probably more than 50%, but at least 50% because if the kittens are going to pull out, the friendly strays are going to pull out, you know, mm-hmm. anyone that an injury you've got to deal with, you're going to see an immediate substantial reduction. And then, you know, over the course of, of time, you're going to start seeing attrition and the colony is going to age. Yes, it does take 10 years, but yet you need the watchdog there, or the watch cats there, mm-hmm. to make sure that those, sorry, my listeners will be, you know, forever sick of me referencing Adam and Eve, but, you know, you need to have community eyes ensuring that when Adam and Eve get abandoned, that there's somebody there to scoop them up. And mm-hmm. so you need the community participation, you need that community energy to really make um, a difference in reducing that free-roaming cat population. Absolutely. And, I mean, you're seeing so many different amazing programs happening across the country in the civilian world. And, you know, in Chicago, in Washington 
state in Arizona and Kentucky and in Massachusetts even um, at at Bacon, um, they they are all having this huge amount of success. But the one piece that, you know, not a lot of folks have is being able to speak DOD or Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. It took us probably close to three years to even get to a point where we could sign paperwork. It's called, in Navy speak, it's called a Memorandum of Understanding, which basically says, okay, this is what the Navy is willing to do. This is what the civilian people are going to do. This is our agreement, you know, on a high treetop level. And everybody signs that. It's a very big deal. And it took us a few years to even get there. And I wasn't even a part of the majority of that legwork. I didn't even Mm. have to sit and walk nothing be done, which I think would have been the hardest thing. Not to say that the people coming to the table don't want to help. It's just that so many times hands were tied by that Washington, D.C. level policy that is so out of date. I mean, I, it, it blows my mind, but right. there it is, and it's what we have to deal with, and now we're moving forward. So if people were interested in learning more about being an advocate or trying to help in some way with regards to trying to change that DOD ruling, I would assume they would contact the Humane Society of the United States for that. Well, yes, to some degree, but also contacting me is very helpful. I have actually spoken with members of leadership at the Human Society of the United States with ASPCA, and I've kind of presented my concept of how I would like the DOD policy to change. I don't necessarily like to reveal that to everyone because I want to hone it and refine it and get it to a point where it's perfect so that no one can say no, but they feel very positive about the language that I would like to introduce. So anybody that, you know, wants to support that effort at the Washington, D.C. policy level can absolutely get in touch with me as well. Okay, and how can people find you? Well, I found out one day that we're actually fairly easy to Google. I did not realize that we would come up so quickly and so easily if Cat Team 7 were Googled. So if all else fails, people can Google Cat Team 7. But we are in the process of developing a website, which is catteam7.com. And if people type that in and it doesn't come up right away, keep doing it because I will get that website live, I promise. We also have an email. Uh, it is catteam7norfolk, and that is N-O-R-F-O-L-K at gmail.com. Caitlin, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, one of the things that I have heard from folks who express concern about the caps out on Naval Station Norfolk is I've heard people ask me, well, aren't they suffering? You know, wouldn't it be better to take them and just euthanize them? Or, you know, I've had all kinds of suggestions across the board. And the reality is that while many of them do wind up being suffering, there are so many more of them that are happy. They're, they enjoy being outdoor cats. They love rolling in the grass. They like hanging out on the rocks, basking in the sun, and working towards a better way to care for them. I think it's really the only option when it comes to ensuring that they have better lives. The only other thing that I can say is even though it feels sometimes like 
they're the underdogs or we're the underdogs or the undercats to never give up. Excellent advice for everybody. It definitely feels like some days it's just a huge challenge in all of the things that we do to be able to kind of chin up and be able to persevere. One of my uh, upcoming blogs about handling the stress because the summertime can be very stressful um, mm-hmm. in, in this business and, you know, being able to take care of yourself in a very crazy period. I used to love the summer and then I went to a period where I hated the summertime because I just knew it was going to be so overwhelming. And I'd be like, when's February coming? What I would do in our area? What I would I do for a foot of snow, you know, in the power exactly. whatever. But now, I'm luckily, I'm able to be in a position where I don't feel that day-to-day stress, but I certainly know what it was like for the 20 years that I was in the thick of things. I definitely, you know, just keep on going, keep on pushing, because you're definitely going to reach and attain your goals. So, Caitlin, thank you for sharing that bit of wisdom. And I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And I hope you'd be willing to uh, join us in the future, maybe give us an update on how things are going. Oh, gosh, anytime. I hope that the next time we talk, there are far more than 30 cats rescued off the base. I hope so, too. I agree with you. So thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone. Wow.